Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. If you enjoy Atlas Avenue Beat and would like to help us out, you can visit patreon.com slash 7lamb. That's the number 7, L-A-M-B. You can donate as little as a dollar a month, and it all goes to creating content such as this. Uh, We produce six different audio dramas currently here at 7lamb Productions with several more on the way. All the money we make from Patreon goes right back into these projects. Um, it helps with sound effects, music, software, hiring actors, and so forth. Um, we also have a ton of bonus content on Patreon, such as other podcasts, behind-the-scenes talk, music tracks, bloopers. Um, so any help will be much appreciated. Like I said, you can donate as little as a dollar a month, and it definitely helps us out. Once again, that's patreon.com slash seven lamb that's the number seven lamb thanks and enjoy the season one finale of atlas avenue beat seven lamb productions presents atlas avenue beat case one the silver casket part 12 the gold coins For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. I stuck a cigarette betwixt my lips and pulled out Angela's gift from my side pocket, the gun-shaped lighter. I pulled the tiny trigger emitting an orange flame from the barrel. I lit the cigarette and inhaled. I love this lighter. Natalie stared at me from the other side of the room. I couldn't believe it. This whole case was answered when I first met Terence O'Reilly in my office. His first mention of seeing his father dead in a tub full of gold coins. Gold coins. James, are you sure it wasn't Evan Greenbaum? The police arrested him. They found the vase in his house. Oh, please. That was the most obvious hack plant job I've ever seen. Evan Greenbaum put a hack plant in the vase? What's a hack plant? What? No, I'm saying that someone planted the vase. No, James. You can't plant a vase. You put plants into a vase. You don't understand vases. You don't understand what I'm saying. Someone put the vase in the Greenbaum household to frame poor Evan Greenbaum. But who would do such a thing? Your brother. Your adopted brother, Terence O'Reilly. <gasps> Everything started making sense now. The whole case was wrapping up nicely in my head. It can't be. It just can't. I'm sorry. I started making my way to the front door when Natalie ran up and got in my way. What are you going to do? I'm going to stop this important murder and arrest your brother. 
Don't do that. If you cross my family, horrible things will happen to you. My family may seem like they hate each other, but they hate outsiders even more. Is that a threat? It's a warning. I beg of you. I can't just look the other way. I was hired to solve this case, and I'll do just that. Only three things scare me, Miss Brewster, and death isn't one of them. Like a boss, I turned and walked out the door, leaving her there, watery-eyed and worried. Damn, that was a cool line I left her with. It was accurate, too. Death wasn't frightening. Heights scared me. Cockroaches scared me. And dare I say it, Chucky scared me. If I never saw another child's play movie, I would die a happy man. As I walked onto Atlas Avenue, I grinned. I was about to solve the biggest case I'd ever had. I hailed a cab and headed for the O'Reilly's. I reached the O'Reilly's at 11.30 precisely. Mr. Locke, how can I help you? I pushed past Butler and went into the main hall. Peter O'Reilly was stumbling down a central staircase with some blonde bimbo attached to his arm. Well, look who it is, Mr. Frock. That's Locke. Not even noon and you're already drunk. Well, it's like that old country saying that my sister taught me. Drink, 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 alcohol. Hey, drink some more alcohol. I've heard a lot of your sister's old country sayings, and even though they are often dumb and irrelevant, it's hard for me to believe that what you just said is one of them. Mock me all you want, Mr. Crock, but I'm not the one who reeks of scotch. What's he doing here? Catherine O'Reilly approached from the East Wing. We are not answering any more of your stupid questions. I don't need you to. I need to speak to Terrence. Anything you would have to say would be inconsequential. Define inconsequential. No time. Where's Terrence? Butler? Mm, Master Terrence O'Reilly has left for the day. Maybe you forgot, but the O'Reillys, we've, we've got a merger going through that will make us even richer. Congratulations. Why, thank you, poor person. Now, if you don't mind, I have a yacht party to get to. I rushed to the front door and out the gravel driveway where my cab was. I needed to stop this merger. I stopped walking when I saw a BMW down the street. Two kids on bikes sped in front of it, making the car break suddenly. The back window rolled down and Terrence leaned out and shouted at the kids. I quickly jumped into the cab. Quick, follow that car. He sped after Terrence, following the BMW up a ramp and onto the highway. I needed to get a hold of Paul, but I didn't have time to stop by the payphone. Suddenly, we hit a traffic jam. Terrence cut across three lanes and headed down an off-ramp. The cabby motioned to the traffic ahead. I climbed into the front seat and pushed the cab driver out of the car. What are you doing? Hey! I grabbed the wheel and took off down the off-ramp. I sped down Main Street and cut across Atlas Avenue. I couldn't tell if Terrence knew he was being followed until I hit the intersection of 3rd and Barton and his car increased in speed. Crap, an unmarked police car got behind me. Lights flashing. I didn't know what to do. I couldn't let him get away. 
couldn't let the merger go through. Shit. I slowed to the side of the road as I saw Terrence's car disappear around the bend. Well, well, well. Sir, I am Paul. Jesus, St. Louis and Carlton Jr. Jimmy Jong, I didn't know that was you. When did you start driving taxis? Getting out of the P.I. business finally? No, I'm actually in a high-speed pursuit. We were wrong. Wrong about the O'Reilly. Seven Greenbaum was framed. It turns out that Terrence O'Reilly was the... Mer- Slow down there, Jimmy Jong. That's a lot of information. Let's take care of one thing at a time. License and registration, please. What? Jimmy Jong, you were speeding like a maniac. 56 in the third five. You're writing me a ticket? That's not your job. Well, since the injury, they decided to put me back on the beat for a while until I fully healed. I still got a wrap on my ankle. Paul, I'm trying to tell you why I was speeding. I know, and it seems really important, so let's just take care of this little ticket. God damn it, he got away! We'll catch him. Now, license and registration, please. I can't believe this. I gave Paul my license. He ran it through and came back with a ticket in hand. You know you don't have to give me a ticket. Jimmy Jong, I can't play favorites. Plus, I need the money. Every ticket we write, we get a 10% commission. It's the policeman way. I've been handing these things out like flyers all day. It's actually a necessity now. I just got my first medical bill. The sprained ankle was nothing. But with the amount of tranquilizer they injected me, I owe a fortune. We are strapped for money. And my little Rebecca's birthday's coming up, and I gotta get her something nice. So I gotta ask you a question, Jimmy Jong. You mind if me and the missus borrow some dough? You know I'm holding a speeding ticket you gave me. Jimmy Jong, it's not very becoming of a person to brag about stuff they can hold. Especially when someone near them can't use their hands in the same way. You hurt your ankle, not your hand. Oh, shit. That's right. (laughs) Well, you still shouldn't brag. You're missing the point, Paul. Come on, Jimmy Jong. Don't you want my little darling Rebecca to have a birthday she always wanted? Paul, this isn't the best time to talk. I need to stop this merger. Okay, okay, I hear you. Let's do this thing. Move over. I want to drive the taxi. Shouldn't we take your car? Taxi's better. I didn't know why Paul wanted to take the taxi until he started picking up customers. Where to, pal? 75th and Jewels, please. Paul, we don't have time for this. But I need the money. I'll help you out with that, but can we concentrate on the O'Reilly case right now? After Paul dropped off a young couple at the museum and overcharged them $20, we headed for the large corporate office of Captain Kitten's Litter downtown. Paul parked the taxi cab on the sidewalk and we ran up through the rotating doors. We headed up to the front desk. My name is James Locke. I need to know where the Captain Kittens and Sailor Snake's Reptiles farm merger is taking place. Oh no, not you again. Oh shit, Barry! Listen, I don't want any trouble. Then just tell us where the merger's taking place. It's on the 12th floor. You can't go there, because it's restricted. We're going. Nope, you're not allowed. Barry, I don't have the fucking time for your antics. Yeah, you piece of shit. Let us go. Hey, I'm just doing my job. You son of a bitch, this is important business. Don't be a fucking asshole, Barry. Is there a problem here? No. There is. Are you a supervisor? I am. My friend and I are here on official police business, and your desk clerk won't let us through. Barry. Is this true? They didn't tell me this was official police business. And if he doesn't let us through, a murderer may go free. Do you want that, Barry? Do you want a murderer to go free, you piece of shit? I think he wants that. I can't believe this. I hired a guy who likes murderers? What? No. I hired this asshole two days ago. Boy, was that the wrong thing to do. Poor judgment on my part. You know what, Barry? Take a fucking hike. What? 
You're fired, Barry. Yeah, nail that son of a bitch. Again? Again this is happening? Get out of here, Barry. No one likes you. Yeah, you're the worst person I ever fucking met. You fucking hate you, Barry. Wait, guys. Barry, come back here. Why? You're not really fired. I overreacted. Really? I am so relieved. I'm glad because I really need this job. <laughs> Just kidding. Of course you're fired. Get the fuck out of here, Barry. Nice one. Did you see how he was happy for a moment? <laughs> I did. I'm glad he's not happy anymore. Should I check him again? I can call him back over. Now we got work to do. Plus, I don't want to see his ugly face again. Right? What a ugly little shit. After we got Barry fired once again, we headed to the elevator. The supervisor led us up to the 12th floor into the doors of the meeting room. We were just about to enter when the doors flung open and a bunch of suited men came out jabbering to one another. They did not seem happy. Paul and I waded through the large group of men looking for Terrence. One man caught my eye, but not because I recognized him. I was looking at the back of his head. The thing that sparked my interest was what was on top of his head. A nice plaid fedora. It was the nicest fedora I'd ever seen. The man entered the elevator, and a moment later, the doors were shut. If I had more time, I would have asked where he got such an extraordinary hat. The rest of the men dispersed, and I could see Terrence at the far end of the meeting room. I got this, Paul. I walked past the long oval table and up to Terrence. He looked up from his open binder, an arched eyebrow, a quizzical look. Mr. Locke, what are you doing here? You know, Mr. O'Reilly, I find it funny. What? A whole charade. Hiring me to find a ghost? I didn't hire you to find no ghosts. But there is this wisp. I was hoping you'd look into it. Not a literal ghost. Just a man you made up. A murderer. I'm not sure I follow, Mr. Locke. Maybe this'll help. Gold coins. We have no idea what you're talking about. Then let me fill you in by explaining what exactly happened the night your father was murdered. It was 5.30 in the morning and your father was getting ready for his morning coin bath. He filled the tub with a bunch of silver coins and hopped in. As he bathed in his money like Scrooge McDuck, you came sliding in through the window. You used the scaffold outside to climb up to the second-story window. The work lights, which were often left on, allowed you to see. The work lights gave off a certain glow, making the silver coins appear gold. This is why you slipped up on several occasions, calling the coins gold, not silver. Your mother knew the correct answer, but not you. You were your father's favorite and knew that if he died, you'd take over the family business. You also hired Vendelin Carter to take care of me as a way of stalling my progress until the merger could go through. You're wrong. You planted a vase in the Greenbaum household so you could pin the murder on Evan Greenbaum. He set it nicely by exposed windows, allowing me and the police a clear view. I don't know where the vase was. I just heard about it. From whom? My brother, Peter. Likely story. Your father didn't want the merger to go through. I read his journal entries. He was against it. But now with him out of the way, you could complete... No, the, the merger didn't go through. Bullshit. I saw a bunch of suited guys with paperwork, and this isn't Congress. What? Paul, I got this. Take a nap or something. I know this looks bad, but... What do you mean the merger didn't go through? When I met with Desmond Grant this morning, I found some BGT reports on his desk. I read through them and found that Sailor Snake's reptile farm is on the verge of bankruptcy. That's why my father didn't want to go through with the merger. We would have been crushed. Expense-wise, not by a brick or something. Grant rushed down here before the meeting began to try and explain the misdirected reports, but I, I couldn't do it. My family may be crazy, money-hungry fools, but I love them. Especially my father. I know I'm adopted, but Jeffrey O'Reilly was the real deal. I didn't know what to do. Did I have this all wrong? 
Something still didn't sit right with me. Then his answer to who spotted the vase, Peter. Peter O'Reilly, his brother. Was this sibling rivalry? Terence, you said your brother was the one who informed you of the stolen vase? That's right. Would there be any reason your brother would want your father dead? Now that you mention it, my brother has... A shot rang out. A bullet hole shattered Terence's binder and left a huge hole in his chest. Blood splurted out and Terence slowly fell to the floor. I turned around to see where the bullet entered and a man standing in the window of the building across the street. The man stood in the shadows, but I could easily see he held a sniper rifle and wore a, a fedora! Holy shit, fedora guy! Damn, that was a nice hat. He fired again, this time in for me. I dove to the floor and under the table. Paul joined me. Oh my god, Jimmy Joe, we're being shot at! This is just like that movie. No, Paul, we're not doing this now. This is not like any movie, at least no movie you've seen. Sure it is. This is just like... Paul, we gotta get out of here. Is he dead? Paul motioned towards Terrence. A pool of blood formed around his body. I nodded. I don't want to die here. I want to live a long and prosperous life. I want to see my kids grow up. Which reminds me, Jimmy Jong, can I borrow some cash right now to buy my little girl her birthday present? The medical bills can wait. I need to get her something nice, and last year she was a bit upset. I thought she would like a life-size standee of Miller Fillmore. The 13th president? I thought she liked America. Paul, we don't have time to talk about this. We have to get out of here. I have an idea. What if you distract them by wearing a dress and dancing around? I don't have a dress. Damn. I know. What about this? You hold down the suppressant fire, and I'll grab Mr. Dead over there. We'll skin him and wear his body, and the bad guy will think there's some weird serial killer over here and run away. No. What if we build a giant steel ball, climb inside, and roll on out of here? How are we going to make a giant steel ball? Hmm. What if we jump out of the window and use our shirt as parachutes? That won't work. What if we turn on some bright lights, make shadow puppets of monsters so he thinks this place is demonic? No. Uh, what if I poop in a corner and point at it? No, these ideas are getting worse, Paul. Well, I, I really gotta take a shit. How about we just make a run for the door? Okay, uh, should, I, should I take a shit now or, or after we make it out? Why don't we wait till after? Come on, on the count of three, we run. One, two... I'm going now. What the hell? We both ran for the door. Bullets peppered the window, kicking up shards of wood, glass, and paper. I jumped out of the room, landing on my side. I quickly rose and brushed myself off. There were no windows in the hall, which meant we were safe for the time being. Paul ran to the restroom, and I went down to the elevator. People had heard the gunshots and called the police. I talked to a cop a couple minutes when Paul came up. This case is getting crazier and crazier, but don't worry... I called Arthur. Maybe he can help us out. We don't need help. We need a car. Where are we going? To the docks. We gonna suck some sailor dicks? No. Good. I don't want to do that. Neither do I. Then why are we going to the docks? We have a yacht party to attend. The police searched the building across from Captain Kitten's litter but found nothing but spent shells. While forensics took care of that, Paul and I headed for the Kenneth Heights Yacht Club, which was on the other side of the city and situated on the large Gander Lake. Paul told Arthur to meet us there, which he did. All I'm saying, Jimmy John, 
is that I need maybe a total of $100 right now. I can't afford to give my daughter something she hates again. Don't tell anyone, but she kind of scares me. I told you she's possessed. Again with the ownership? Not what I mean. We met Arthur outside the Yacht Club entrance. It's no good. We can't get in. Arthur? Big Jimbo, you just had to go and solve this case right, didn't you? You're upset that I'm actually making things right? We don't know that you're right. It's all speculation. It's better than just arresting someone without proper evidence. Hey, that guy had a vase. Jimmy John, King Arthur, let's relax. Why can't we get inside? Party is a couple's party. We need dates, otherwise we'll have to crash it. But then they'll know we're cops. Hmm, I got an idea. No camo pants. All right, new idea. I'll call Lorraine, Jimmy John, you call Angela, and Arthur... You can stay out here and keep watch, you know, because he, he has no one. N- no one that loves him anyway. I could get a date. Angela won't work. I have no way of getting a hold of her. Ha. Locke's got no one either. Actually, I do have someone. Fuck. After Paul called his wife and told her to dress provocatively, I had him call the office. Thirty minutes later, Lorraine and Edith, my one-of-a-kind secretary, showed up. Lorraine wore a sparkling gold gown, and Edith wore a fabulous red sequin dress. Arthur, feeling left out, drove off and came back with his date. Here she is. This is Daphne. Arthur walked up with a tan blow-up doll with wide eyes and a wider mouth. That will never work. No one will notice. I blew her up just to the right amount and plugged all her holes. Was she losing air? No, I mean I fucked her. That's nice. Okay, team, let's do this. Put on your party face. Make sure it's not your ugly one, Lorraine. Okay, honey. You guys make a great couple. The party was booming. We walked up to the on-ramp where the bouncer stood. Good afternoon. Are you all on the list? Yeah, we are. The name's... Uh, Smith. Thereen 2. Smithereen 2. Smithereen 2. Party of six? Sure. Smithereen 2? You couldn't pick a more common name? You could have stopped at Smith. Yeah, but that would have been too obvious. You could have went with Johnson, Williams, Brown, Miller, Davis. Smitherinto isn't even a name. I'm not seeing a Smitherinto. I see a Smith, party of six, and a Miller, a Johnson, a Williams, even a Davis and Brown party of six, but no Smitherinto. God damn it, Paul. I got this, Mr. J. Edith walked up to the burly man and shook her cleavage. She began flirting with the man, laughing and touching his shoulder gently. The rest of us backed off and waited. Suddenly, Edith and the bouncer walked off down to the dock and around a small boathouse. It's clear. Let's go. The group ran up the ramp, but I held back. I should go check on Edith, make sure she's okay. Just then she came running up. Let's go, Mr. J. What happened? I bashed him in the fucking head. Oh, Edith, tell me you didn't kill him. I didn't. I just knocked his fucking head and pushed him into the water. But he could drown. No, I pushed him in face up. Oh, okay. We ran up the ramp and entered into one of the craziest parties I'd ever seen. The deck was littered with condoms and cocaine. Paul ran up to me, powder on his nose. Jimmy Jones, this party's fucking great! I mean, really great! Come on the boat, and I'm just, you know, having all these great ideas. Just like before, like taking a shit in a corner, but this one's better. Maybe. Maybe we can open up a shop together. Uh, yes, you and I, definitely going to business together. We can call it Jimmy Jones. Or not. Maybe not. It could be anything. We could sell guns, like a gun shop. 
for me, but get chairs. I don't care. Anything. I can sell fucking loofers door to door. You goddamn it, it's the best day of my life. In all seriousness, we need to seriously go to business together. Seriously. We were on the boat for half a minute and Paul was already high. I grabbed Edith around the waist and led her to the bow where a dance floor was laid out. People bumped and grinded on each other as strobe lights flashed. It was only four o'clock in the afternoon. If they were partying this art now, I couldn't imagine what it would be like around midnight. Mr. J, I am so glad you invited me to this party. I was so goddamn bored at work. Edith, you do realize this isn't a real party, right? Oh my god, are all these people fucking robots? No, 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 no. Who's fucking a robot? No one. Actually, Jim, I did see someone fucking a coffee machine inside. See? At least my date has a face. Guys, we have to find Peter O'Reilly. Let's spread out. Edith and I will walk around up here. Paul, you and Lorraine check out the upper decks. I ain't checking out any dicks. Decks. Oh, gotcha. And Arthur, you and Blow Up Doll head downstairs. She has a name. Sorry, you and Daphne head downstairs. Okay, let's do this. Edith and I walked through the dance party. Women were taking ecstasy. Guys were snorting coke. Money was being thrown in the air like they just did not care. Rich people. We reached the back of the ship or the stern for the layperson. We discovered a massive orgy. Mr. J, what kind of fucking party did you bring me to? I told you, Edith, we're here to find Peter O'Reilly. What's so special about him? I thought that shitty case was over. Turns out it's not. We had it all wrong until now. We need to find him, but I don't see anything out here. Let's see if we can find the others. We headed inside and downstairs. Most of the rooms were locked. People looted the halls, drunk and heaving. A man approached me. Pardon me, sir. Who is your missus? This is Edith Dietrich, my secretary. Too much information. Just needed a first name. May I make you an offer? $15,000 to do your lady friend in the booty. Holy shit! What? No, get out of here! But Mr. J, that's a lot of fucking money. We have a job to do. Edith smiled at me and wrapped her arms around my arm. It was a lot of money, but we had to finish this job. I hope she didn't think more into it. I wasn't jealous, of course. She could have sex with whoever she wanted. We turned a corner to find a door wide open and walking inside to find Arthur making love to his balloon. Oh, yeah, Daphne. Oh. Oh, God, I love you. Oh, yeah, give it to me, girl. Oh. Oh, Daphne. Oh, Daphne. Oh, Oh, Jesus, Arthur. Oh, uh... It's not what it looks like. I was fixing her. She had a hole. She has several holes. Yeah, but this one wasn't made before. What? I'm blending in, damn it. Jimmy Joan! Jimmy Joan, we found him! Where? He's upstairs in the theater room. We headed upstairs to a large room with stadium seating and a massive screen. Not gonna lie, Jimmy Joan. I'm a bit high. I told you not to snort all that coke, dear. Shut it, Lorraine! Paul, just keep cool until I have a chance to talk to Peter. Okay, but we gotta hurry. They're departing from the dock soon. We won't be able to call for backup. Plus, I'm scared of being out in the open ocean. It's a lake. We're not even close to an ocean. It doesn't matter. I just hate open water. I don't like not knowing what's below me. That's why I never really go high up in an apartment building. That's an odd comparison. It's one of my three main fears. I'm scared of open ocean, clowns, and turning sideways. Ha! Mr. J isn't scared of anything. That's not entirely true. I'm scared of a few things. Heights, cockroaches, and other things. I didn't feel like bringing up the last and most intense fear I had. That is, until the lights in the theater dimmed and the projector behind us began to glow. 
Just then, Peter O'Reilly in the front row stood on his chair and faced the crowd. Ladies and gentlemen, I know you've been asking for it, so here it is. I now present to you the Child's Play Marathon. Oh no, not Chucky. My third and final fear. Chucky really did a number on me as a kid, and I could never shake that voodoo-filled movie. I started hyperventilating. Oh no! Mr. J! What's wrong with him? It's Chucky! Here's a paper bag. Mr. J, we gotta get out of here. I can't. I can't. I'm weak. We gotta do something! Here, I bought some popcorn. The movie's starting. Hey, you tubby shit. Stop the movie. Oh, man, but I already bought popcorn. Uh, Fine. Paul pulled out his gun and shot the projector. (laughs) What the hell? Don't move. After I calmed down, we headed for Peter's office. Lorraine, Edith, and Daphne waited outside. Okay, Mr. O'Reilly, you know why we're here. Mr. Cock, I haven't a clue. I didn't invite any poor people. We didn't come for the party. We came for you. (laughs) Okay. I walked around the office and stopped when I reached the wall of fedoras, sitting neatly on hooks. Each fedora was made with perfection. These are nice. Where'd you get them? They're not mine. Oh, they just happen to be on your yacht. This isn't my boat. Whose boat is this? Suddenly the boat rocked and we stumbled a bit. The boat was leaving the dock. Peter, noticing our sea legs, took the opportunity to run. He jumped out the window. He's getting away! We rushed out the room to find him jumping into the lower deck, then over the side. He swam to a small speedboat still tied to the dock. Lorraine, Edith, and Daphne ran over to us. He got away! Not yet, he didn't. I took a deep breath and jumped. Jimmy Jones, shit. I can't let him do this alone. He needs me, but I'm scared of water. No time. I turned around to see Edith jump into the water. Hey, let him go, Paul. We'll go to the captain, get the force, and... You do that, and get my wife to safety. But, honey... Shut up, Lorraine. Now, quick, someone get me a life vest. I don't see any, honey bun. Lorraine, this is not a time for food. Shit. Here, use Daphne. Hell, her bottom's all wet. You you dunk her in some water already? <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's what I did. Here goes nothing. I climbed under the dock and helped both Edith and Paul up. Daphne. What's she doing here? Edith, no need for jealousy. She's fake. She probably had a lot of plastic surgery. She looks like it. Edith, where did you jump? I don't want you coming with me. This could be dangerous. I want to fucking help. You ever drive a speedboat? No. I have. Come on, Mr. J. Edith ran to the near boat and hopped in. Paul, Daphne, and I jumped in after her. Edith kicked a panel below the wheel and knocked it aside. She pulled out some wires and hot-fired it. The boat chugged alive. We zoomed past the yacht. I looked up at the large boat to see Arthur put his arms around Lorraine. They kissed. Holy shit. Paul was right. 
Lorraine was sleeping with someone else. And for some reason, he always just thought it was me. Luckily, Paul didn't see this as we passed. He was too busy fondling Daphne. Hey, Jimmy Jong, I gotta ask you a question. I'm not sleeping with your wife. Not that, Jimmy Jong. Although I'm still gonna keep an eye on you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Kinda. I wanna ask you if maybe I could just borrow like 50 bucks. That should be enough to buy a little Rebecca something nice. Paul, not now. Edith, do you see Peter? He's just ahead. We're catching up. But it's time to put this piece of shit into high gear. I'm gonna shoot his gas tank. Out of the way, Daphne. No, we need him alive. I wanna use my gun, damn it. Not unless he fires at us. Mr. J, Peter's got a gun. Shit. Can I use mine now? Uh, go ahead. Bang, bang, motherfucker! We gained speed and moved ever closer. Edith pulled to the side of his boat. He fired and Edith pulled away. When his gun emptied, we moved closer. She got right alongside his boat. I climbed onto the railing. Mr. J! I jumped. I had made it to Peter's boat. His wide eyes made it apparent he did not expect this. I climbed to my feet and charged him. We did get out 50 style while the boat continued its fast pace towards the downtown area of Kenneth Heights. Get off my boat, gypsy! It's over, Peter. You have no idea what you're doing. With both of us fighting, we didn't pay much attention to where the boat was heading. Not until Peter landed a punch and knocked me from my feet did I see what was ahead. Oh no, a boat ramp filled with oversized crates lay before us. Oh shit. Peter turned around and instantly grabbed hold of a seat. I did the same. The boat launched off the ramp and landed right in the downtown area. The momentum carried the boat down Atlas Avenue and right into a parked bus. Peter got up, scratches on his face. He grabbed his gun and jumped over the side. He ran down Atlas Avenue. I forced myself to my feet and gave chase. I climbed on top of the parked bus, jumped onto a rear van and a cab, then a bike, then a skateboard, then a small puppy, and then the sidewalk. I ran as fast as I could, pushing through some mimes, running past Donigan's, Terry's Diner, and the now-closed Mamma Mia Spaghettios. Peter turned the corner and I followed. I jumped and slid across the of an old fogey trying to make a U-turn at a four-way stop. Peter ducked into an alley. I pulled my gun and did the same. I stopped for a moment. He was gone. But where did he go? Jimmy Joe! Mr. J! I could hear Edith and Paul in the distance. There was no time. I had to find Peter. I ran forward and around the bend. I reached a chain-link fence. Some blood dripped from the top. Peter had climbed over this. I jumped over and ran down the rest of the alley. It led to a large, empty lot with a huge warehouse at the far end. I could see Peter limping, running towards the warehouse. I followed. I entered the warehouse at 6.15 exactly. The place was empty save for a few boxes and barrels. Above me, a long steel catwalk. I could hear the echo of someone running on it. I ran up some stairs and followed the sound. I made it to a small room. I saw the shadow of a man on the wall. I jumped around the corner, gun raised. Stop! Peter, trying to open an exit door, turned around slowly. Drop the gun. Bravo, Mr. Sack. Lock, and it's over. <laughs> I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for you and your friends and your pesky blow-up doll. You weren't going to get away with anything. <laughs> you didn't even know it was me. You thought it was my brother. Ha! <laughs> Dumb policeman. I'm a P.I. 
Don't you spell in front of me. Let me ask you one question. Why? Why? Money, of course. Money. Always money. Was it worth killing your brother? A adopted brother. And I don't know. That didn't kill Terrence. I saw the fedoras on the boat. I told you. That wasn't my boat. Then who? Me. I turned around to see Desmond Grant. Tall, fairly shaped, stubble on his chin. Wearing one of the most finely made fedoras I'd ever seen. Damn! I needed to know where he bought his hats. Desmond fucking Grant. How did you know my middle name? Here I was trying to prove your innocence. So you two? Together? That's right. Now drop your gun. But how? Ha! <laughs> you think I'm going to fall for that old villain routine? Explain how I did everything just so you can escape, and then arrest me with the knowledge I so willingly gave you? What if I said, please? All right. I may be a villain, but I applaud niceties. Have a seat. I sat on a rusted barrel. I killed old man Jeffrey because I had to. You did it for the money? No. Revenge. I used to work for Sailor Snake's reptile farm before working for Jeffrey and his kitten litter company. Stephen Snake fired me. Was that his real name? No, he changed it. It used to be Stephen Anaconda. Right. That bastard fired me for no good reason. Then I get hired by Jeffrey only to find him getting ready to let me go. You know, cutbacks and all. I wasn't about to go back to living on the streets. So I offered this idea, a merger. Jeffrey loved it, a way to expand. Little did he know that I knew that Stephen Snake's company was going under. The merger would kill both companies, drain them. There never was any money. So you'd be fine with living on the streets if it meant that both the companies you used to work for fell? That's right. Wait, so there's no money? There is now. Since the merger didn't go through, the O'Reilly Company will remain stocked. But I'm fine with it. Sailor Snakes will go bankrupt. Jeffrey O'Reilly is dead, and now Peter is in control of Captain Kitten. So, Peter, it's time to start transferring that money to an offshore account. We'll leave the rest of your family bone dry. I don't know if I like that. Who's Andrew Gardman? Vendel gave me the name Andrew Gardman. Andrew Gardman is actually Andrew Topple, or is it Andrew Fedora? He changes his name often. He worked at the precinct as a guard man. It's a false name. He played middleman. I hired Vendel and Carter through him. I needed to get you off this case. Too bad they failed. But I was trying to get you out of jail. I didn't need you to. If inebriated Peter here didn't forget to plant the vase in the Green Bomb household sooner, I would have been freed last week. Sorry about that. So all for revenge. One more question. Hurry, we're running out of time. Where did you get that kick-ass fedora? I'll never tell. Really? That's where you draw the line? We can't have everyone wearing fedoras like this. They'll lose their uniqueness. Just a clue? No. You really are a villainous asshole. Tell me, Mr. Locke, have you ever heard the story of the frog and the scorpion? Yes, the frog ran the race nice and steady and ended up winning. The scorpion got all cocky because he was faster, but ended up losing. No, wrong animals. Did the scorpion threaten to huff and puff and then blow down the three froggies' homes? No, shut up. I I'll tell it. <clears throat> a scorpion asks a frog to carry him across a river. The frog doesn't want to do it because he's afraid of being stung. The scorpion reasons that if he stung the frog, they would both drown. 
The frog then agrees and carries the scorpion on his back. Halfway across the river, the scorpion stings the frog. The frog asks why, and the scorpion points out that this is its true nature. So you're saying an asshole is always an asshole? Basically. Where did you get the hat? Are we done here? I hope you're happy with all that money. Well, it could be more. Hell, you know what? Maybe I'll just take it all. Um... Uh... What? Just then, Desmond shot Peter square in the chest. Peter stumbled and fell to the ground. There. Now the only loose end left is you. Any last words, Mr. Locke? Jimmy Jones, you in here? Mr. J, where the hell are you? Desmond turned around, startled by the shouts. I saw my chance. I reached down, grabbed a broken piece of wood, and chucked it. It knocked the gun from Desmond's hand. Rather than going for my gun, I charged Desmond. We wrestled to the ground. I reached for the gun, but exposed my side. Desmond landed a shot right to the kidney. I rolled on my side, hurt. Desmond started crawling for his gun. I crawled after him, grabbed his leg and pulled. We both reached for the gun, and in a skirmish ended up knocking him out of the room and off the catwalk. It fell to the first floor. I grabbed Desmond's collar and shoved him down hard. I then scrambled for my gun. I could see Desmond out of the corner of my eye. He crawled for Peter's gun. We both reached our guns simultaneously. I spun around and aimed at his chest. I pulled the trigger and a tiny flame sputtered out of the barrel. What the? That's when I noticed it. My finger felt way too snug in the trigger guard. I hadn't noticed before. I pulled out Angela's gift, the gun-shaped lighter. A huge grin was plastered on Desmond's face. Well, this was it. He held up his gun, pointed it at my chest, and fired. It didn't quite hurt. It was more of a shock. I could feel the bullet enter my body and slowly fell to my knees. Desmond gave me a short salute and took off through the exit door. Just then, Edith, Paul, and Daphne ran into the room. Jimmy Jong! All three of them knelt beside me. Well, Daphne didn't kneel, but that's because she didn't have knees. He's been fucking shot! I couldn't talk. Everything was getting blurry. With the gun lighter in my hand, I couldn't help but think about Angela and how I was missing her birthday dinner. What would she think when I wound up dead? Edith got on her cell phone. Paul shimmied over to me and slid Daphne under my head. Hang in there, Jimmy Jong. Quick, call an ambulance. Here you go, buddy. Rest on her airy bosom. My life started flashing before my eyes. Being a baby in Gulfport, Mississippi. Being raised in a small town with two school teaching parents. Going on my first date, attending Hancock North Central. Playing football with friends and getting better at playing football. Gaining a scholarship and playing quarterback. Playing for the Falcons, the Packers. Almost retiring but playing for Minnesota instead. Sending that girl a dick pic? Yeah, wait, wait a second. This wasn't my life, it was Brett Favre's. Why the hell was I picturing his life? <laughs> Dying is weird. Jimmy Jong, I know this isn't the best time, but let me just get this. Paul reached into my back pocket and pulled out my wallet. I'm just going to take some money now, and you can give me more when you get better. Okay, Jimmy Jong? Jimmy Jong? Things got dark. Darker. And then pitch black. And everything went silent.
Atlas Avenue Beat, written by Robert M. Lamb, edited by Dylan Whitehead, starring Jack Austin as Locke, Amy LeRae as Edith, Jose Caraballo as Paul, Brian Messick as Arthur, Shannon McCarthy as Lorraine, Megan Austin as Angela, co-starring Amber Simpson, April Cadmus Marsh, Nick Engelhard, Lucas Webley, Adam Jetmore, Robert M. Lamb, Jenny Bailey, Matthew Manning, Dylan Whitehead, Gene Lamb, Justin Stewart, and Ricky Laner. Music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. If you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to rate and review on iTunes. This has been a Seven Lamb production. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.